Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Today, if you have the sermon card, you can turn with me there to Luke chapter 7. If you do not have a sermon card, you can put your hand in the air and one will be uh, given to you. I want to read one verse up front today. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. I want to preach a message today titled, Authority and Three Crosses. Authority and three crosses. And before I do, I want to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that your kingdom is at hand. I thank you today's the day that you have made. and I will rejoice and be glad in it. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would make much of Jesus. That you would penetrate hearts and minds. That you would help us focus in on the reality of heaven and eternity. And your kingdom in these moments we have together. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. I acknowledge my need of you. Come and glorify the risen King. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Did you know that faith can grow? I said, did you know that faith can grow? That's why in the Bible there can be faith and there also can be great faith. Now, All biblical faith finds its authorship in the communicated Word of God and in the Spirit of God. In fact, that's why the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Faith. And though all biblical faith finds its authorship in the communicated Word of God and in the person of God, the Holy Spirit, biblical faith can still grow. In fact, the church of the Thessalonians were said by Paul to have exceedingly growing faith. Exceedingly growing faith. And yet Paul still prayed, though they had exceedingly growing faith, Paul still prayed that they would have mature faith. In fact, Jesus rebuked his disciples a couple of times as having little faith. Any of you been that disciple before? (laughs) Yeah, I know I have. But I'm confident that you're here today because you, like me, desire to have growing faith. Not faith that is stagnant, but a faith that is growing and increasing. Why am I confident of that? Because you've taken time out of your day to come and to gather and to fix your heart and your eyes on Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. See, faith is how we relate to God. 
And without faith, we cannot please God. Because faith is the New Testament currency of the kingdom of God. Faith is how we receive from God what He longs to give us. The experience of His love and His kingdom. So this leads us to number one. So what then is faith? Faith is simply relational trust. Biblical faith is simply relational trust. Now this is vital. Listen, this is make it or break it. This is important. Because biblical faith is framed within a framework of a relationship with God and His anointed one, Jesus Christ. When we talk about biblical faith, you cannot talk or think about biblical faith apart from its relational context. But most people, most church attendees, most believers that I know in America and have sought to walk with, serve with, stand with, we fall into the air of separating biblical faith from its relational context. And when it's separated from the relational context, then that's why we find faith to be so difficult. Simply put, don't expect for any of us, myself or you, to have much faith apart from a relationship with God and His King Jesus. Not a mental knowledge of who God is. Not a mental assent of who Jesus is. But in a practical moment by moment, day by day, walking, seeking, Searching, eating, hungering, thirsting to know God and His King, Jesus Christ. See, this growth of trust, this faith, comes only as a result of a relationship with Jesus. And the story that our main text comes from that we read up front is a story that gives us some insights into faith gives us some insights for us who have a desire to have growing faith. We pick it up in Luke chapter 7 beginning in verse 1. It said, Now when he, he being Jesus, concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. You ever had anything that was dear to you? I feel the helper this morning. Thank you, Lord. You ever had anything dear to you that you felt was dying? You ever had anything that was close to your heart that you felt like you were believing God for or dreaming God for and yet you felt like it was, it was leaving you, it was not going to come to pass, that you just couldn't get your hand on it or, or see it come to pass like you want? So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. 
For I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And he turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even amongst God's covenant people, not even in Israel. Those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. A couple of things to take note of up front is this centurion, he had thoughts of being unworthy. But these thoughts of being unworthy were not self-defeating thoughts. They were not self-hating thoughts. They were thoughts that came from him in his relating to Jesus the King. These are appropriate thoughts in our relating to the King Jesus. See, the centurion knew and understood that in comparison to Jesus, he was unworthy. That in comparison to Jesus, his character was unworthy. That his name was not as worthy as Jesus' name. That even the authority he had as a Roman centurion was not authority worthy compared to Jesus' authority. That his life, as seemingly successful as it was in the culture of his day, was not as worthy as Jesus' life. See, he understood what we need to understand if we're going to have great faith, if we're going to have growing faith, that Jesus was and he is and he will always be superior to you and I. He understood that Jesus was superior to him. Now, to you and I, that might not mean much, but this centurion was a man of authority in his culture. This man was a man of prominence in his culture. This man was a man looked up to by many in his culture. And yet this man understood that with all the applause of man, with all the accolades of man, with all the success and praise of man, that he was nowhere close of being worthy compared to Jesus the King. See, this understanding of being unworthy compared to Jesus was not debilitating. It was not a debilitating attitude, but it was actually a spiritual attitude. It was an attitude that didn't make him uninvolved with what God was doing on the earth, but it was an attitude that made him involved in what God had been doing on the earth. In fact, notice the story says that they came to Jesus and they said, Hey, this one that sent us, you should do this for him because he's deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. What they're saying is, is he loved God's Old Testament covenant people. 
He loved the people that God established a covenant with in the Old Testament, the Jews and Israel. This man was one who was invested in what God's Old Testament covenant people built. They built synagogues in every city that they were dispersed to. This man, he loved and therefore he acted. He loved and therefore he built. He loved, therefore he was involved. He loved, therefore he put his hands to something. He loved, therefore he was invested. See, I have found, which is sort of shocking, but it's true, that there are just as many in America who are not involved in what God is doing today on the earth because they think they are worthy. I have found that in seeking to serve and walk along and journey with American church attendees and goers, that there's just as many, if not more, that are uninvolved in what God's doing on the earth today. A God who is seeking to save that which is lost, seeking to heal that which is broken, seeking to redeem people and families that have been separated from Him, seeking to break all families and generations and lives Curses that hold them back to God's good pleasure and will for them. I have found just as many that are not involved with what God is doing because they think that they are worthy. They think they're too worthy to serve. They think they're too worthy to humble themselves and to wash the feet of another. They think they're too worthy to take time out of their schedule and to listen to the story of someone that is hurting. I have found a lot of people that are not involved because they, they think that they're unworthy to be used. I have found in America a lot of people that are not involved because they think they are too good, too worthy. I have found that pride keeps a lot of people from being used by Almighty God. I have found that people, like in the Song of Solomon, who said, oh, but I've washed myself. Oh, I've made a comfortable place for the night. I don't want to get up and answer the door of one who's knocking, one who's interested about the door of salvation, one who's interested how to get free of the chains that bind them. And I'm telling you that faith comes when we see ourselves not in the light of someone else, not in our co-worker and our neighbor or someone in this church, but we, when we see ourselves in the light of his worthiness, we find ourselves that we aren't worthy, but this worthy unworthiness is an attitude that actually lets us surrender and get involved. You mean you want to use me who is unworthy compared to him? You mean you want to work through me, Holy Spirit? to shine the spotlight and to testify about Him who is worthy? Oh, now we see how the centurion began to be in a posture for this faith that Jesus marveled at. Faith doesn't come from focusing on our worthiness. Faith comes as we marvel on His worthiness. Faith doesn't come when we look at us and the talents and what we have, faith comes as we look to His ability and His power and what He can do. See, in this story, you you find this underlying reality that we might miss here in Western culture. 
There's this reality and underlying important truth in the story about the role of the roof. See, in the days of Jesus and in Roman culture, the roof symbolized authority. And in Roman law, as a Roman citizen and the head of his house, he had absolute authority over everyone and everything under his roof. And though he had all authority, even by law, under what took place under his roof, he had a sick servant that was dear to him and yet he couldn't heal. How many of you at times, though, you got authority in your home? You're the one that holds the keys to your home. You're the one that locks the door and unlocks the door and turns on the light and turns off the light and pays the bills or don't pays the bills, whatever. But <laughs> you're the one that makes choices under your roof. And yet there has been times where though you have authority under your roof, there are things that you find you just don't have the ability to change. And this centurion, he understood something. He understood that Jesus had more authority than him. He understood that Jesus had even more authority than Roman law. And he understood that if even if Jesus came under his roof, his roof would still be actually under Jesus' authority. This is why he said, don't miss it now. Watch this in Luke 7 verse 6. Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, and centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. See, he's saying, listen, I'm not worthy for it to even have the appearance that you're coming under my authority. I, I, listen, I'm not worthy. My heart and conscience knows that others might praise me, and others might applaud me, and others might think that I'm great, but my heart and conscience knows that I'm an unworthy man compared to you, that I'm a sinful man, I'm a weak man, though outwardly people think I have a lot of authority, inwardly I know there's times I'm shaking like a leaf. And I don't want it to have the appearance, Jesus, that you're coming under my authority and my roof because I am very, very aware that everything in my home and even all of Rome and Caesar and all the laws of Caesar and Rome are actually under your roof, Jesus. They're actually under your authority, Jesus. That you are superior and you are supreme. Therefore, Jesus, just send your word into my home. See, I found at times that though we pick on this upcoming generation is being entitled I have found that that the provisions and the blessings in America have made me entitled at times 
And I see it trying to seep over into my walk with God. That when I have a need, it's as if I think I'm so important that Jesus should leave his throne and walk into my home where I can see him and feel him and do a miracle for me. Forget about the other seven plus billion people. Jesus, you need to come and show up in my home where I can see you. And see, that's where I'm forgetting. (laughs) That he's so much superior than me. And I don't need him supernaturally to do something supernaturally significant like right upon the wall or send an angel to my home. I just need him to send his word into my home. I just need him to speak whose voice will absolutely split the cedars of Lebanon. I just need him whose voice sounds like many waters. I just need him to put his word into my home. See, this man's faith in the word of Jesus was greatly influenced by his understanding that his life and everything under his roof was under Jesus' authority. Listen, this is why so many in Western civilization in the American church, listen, this is why so many we struggle with biblical faith week after week. Here's why. The struggles related to this question, and this question at times can can prick us, but only to help us. Are you ready? Number two, who entered under whose roof? There's this false understanding. Pastor Craig and I talk about this a lot as people burden for other brothers and sisters and peers and ministry and pastors and the next generation of pastors and leaders being raised up. But there is this false notion in America that the gospel is actually Jesus entering under our roof. There's this false notion that the gospel is about Jesus entering under our authority in our life. That the gospel is a presentation where now we can control the God of scriptures. Where now we can tell Jesus what to do, when to do it, how to do it, who he should do it for. And that's not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is he's king. And he don't come under my roof and my authority and my needs. The gospel is an invitation for my roof and my home and my life to come under his lordship, under his authority. See, you don't, we don't enter the kingdom of God by seeking to add Jesus under our roof. We don't enter the kingdom by seeking to cause Jesus to come under our life so that we can control. We don't enter the kingdom by putting Him under us, but by putting the kingdom of God and the rule of God over us. So the question we have to ask brothers and sisters or seekers or people in the community around us, some of you know who've went to church for years and yet have such little faith. And how do we know that? Because 
faith acts. So you remember the man, the centurion? He loved what God was doing, so he built. He invested. He was involved. He didn't have a useless dead faith. He had a faith that worked, a faith that was engaged, a faith that was active. Is this, do you think Jesus entered under your roof? Or that your roof came under Him whose roof is bigger than the heavens? See, without biblical foundation and biblical surrender and without biblical submission, listen, there can't be growing faith. Because the foundation when it's unbiblical, is about us. And I have found when attention gets on me, who's 5'8 and growing, <laughs> growing. When it gets on me, doubt becomes very attractive. When I look at things, trials, circumstances in light of me, doubt becomes very, very attractive. But if my roof actually came under His roof, if my life actually came under His life, then I am to view what I go through not through my authority and my worthiness, but His authority and His worthiness and His life. See, if I think my walk with God is built upon me, you know you. You know every flaw of you. You know of every failure of you. Every weakness of you. You can't get no faith there. If you make faith about your relational trust with you, then you're going to have ever-increasing doubt. But if you make faith about your relational trust with the king, then you can begin to have ever-increasing faith the more we know him the more we experience Him, the more we learn from Him, the more we walk with Him, the more we obey Him. See, it is the difference between relating with Jesus as if He's under our kingdom and our authority versus relating with Jesus as He being over our roof, our life, our family, our little kingdom. Look at verse 7 again. He said, Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word. And my servant will be healed. Here's number three. I felt this. I felt it this week. The Lord wanted to tell us, put His word into what takes place under your roof. Listen, we're spirit-filled people. We believe in the supernatural. But not to the extreme that you think Jesus is going to get off His throne because you're so special and walk into your home and sit down with you in the flesh and do a a miracle for you while you see him perform it. No, no, no. He's going to do a miracle, but it's by you putting his word into your house, putting his word under and into 
enter into what's happening in your home and in your life. Get the Word of God in your mouth, in your home, in your song. Put His Word into what takes place under your roof. Then he says in verse 8, For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Number four, notice this man understood as a centurion. He said, I got soldiers under me. And he understands Jesus has soldiers under him. Did you know that Jesus has soldiers under him? In fact, if you're under Jesus' lordship, if he is lord and king of your life, listen, you're his soldier. See, you're the father's son or daughter, but you're Jesus, the big brother's soldier. Jesus has soldiers. You're a soldier for his kingdom. Now, when you understand Jesus has soldiers, you understand why there's battles. When you understand Jesus has soldiers, now you understand why there's difficulties. Because soldiers bring in a whole different ballgame. It's a different context. It means there's a battle. It means there's an enemy. It means there's attacks. It means that there's weapons formed against you. But Jesus has soldiers. And this man understood that. And yet we're a kingdom that doesn't fight with guns or swords, but with a spirit of grace and truth. If you're not his soldier, then you've never surrendered to his lordship. If you've been told that you can use Jesus to get to heaven, and in the meantime, put him under the authority of your roof, you've been lied to. Whether on TV, or a pamphlet in the mail, or wherever. Jesus has soldiers. Maybe you have confessed him as Lord. And maybe you have brought your roof and your home and your life under his lordship. But you're unaware that you're a soldier. And you've been going around with a big question mark over your head thinking, one, what's my purpose? Secondly, why am I going through this? I thought things were supposed to get better once I followed Jesus. Well, depends on what you're putting in the category of better. <laughs> I got better access to God. I got a better comforter in trials, the Holy Spirit. I got better friends who don't leave me when I'm going through trials, but I didn't have many show up in the psych ward. When that went bad. See, Paul, he tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.3, you therefore must endure hardships. Endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you've been unaware you're a soldier, I want to tell you like Pastor Craig preached last week, you're here for such a time as this. You're here to get equipped. You're here to get prepared. You're here to get engaged. You're here to get on the offensive. 
You're here to learn faith, to fight the good fight of faith. You're here for such a time as this to be prepared for the good works that He's prepared beforehand for you. And look at verse 9. It said, when Jesus heard these things, He marveled at Him. Turned around and said to the crowd that followed Him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith. Not even in Israel. You know, it's really mind-blowing. But the longer you do this, then it doesn't become mind-blowing. It just becomes motivation for intercession. (laughs) Is that you have one who was not an Old Testament covenant person who had great faith. And yet Jesus said amongst the covenant people, he hadn't found such great faith. Meaning, listen, just because we show up here every Sunday and just because we got new friends don't mean that we're just automatically going to get great faith. You need to show up here Sundays. You need new friends. You need to be in a connect group. But it's only as we are weaned and move away from focusing on what is seen, our own ability, our own flaws, And by faith, behold him who's worthy, him who's able, him who's able to build what's happening under our roof and build our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren and the call of God for our life and build his church where the gates of hell will not prevail because it's not built on outward things but unseen relational trust with him that though we haven't seen him, we love him and therefore we have an inexpressible joy. Hallelujah. Great faith. Why? What was a part of this key to great faith? Is he understood Jesus' authority? It's interesting that his cultural context, the fact that he's a Roman citizen, and his experience as a centurion in Roman authority, listen, it influenced his great faith. Let me tell you right now, amongst our brothers and sisters, where it can be a great challenge to some of us to have great faith is that we didn't grow up in a culture, in a home where there was order. See, this man's faith was served because he had a context and a culture that understood order and authority. Some of us grew up in very dysfunctional places where it was just lawlessness. It seemed like anything went. It seemed like no one was in control, that you were just rolling dice from one day to the next to understand what's going to happen. And lawlessness doesn't serve faith. Order serves faith. See, some of you, you've already planned because it's so important to your physical hunger and thirst where you're going after I shut up. And the reason you're going there is because in your relationship with them, you're able to trust they're going to consistently have what it is you want to order. And that consistency allows you to trust where you then go. This man, because he had a context of understanding order, it helped build his faith in Jesus And it's the same for you and I. Those of you that grew up in such context, that's why you got to come and be around 
other marriages and, and other homes of believers who understands the order of God's kingdom to begin to help serve you to realize that though life up to this point seems chaotic and that there's no one in control, that there's a different experience available under the kingdom of God and things can come under His Lordship in your life. That you can leave the land of, well, what about them? And what about this? And what about over there? And you can come under the kingdom for you and be certain that your roof and your life is under His Lordship, the one who is worthy. It says in verse 8, For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is Missions March. And our series is A18, of Acts 1-8, that we would be empowered when we receive and the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be witnesses. Witnesses of Jesus' authority, of His resurrection power, His power to overcome death and what the enemy meant for evil and what sin has done to us and the rejection of the world. And I want to tell us today that as you move forward in the mission that God has for you and you march as a soldier of Jesus Christ that your ability to march faithfully is greatly affected by your understanding of the gospel. Not just your understanding of the gospel but also your understanding of authority and your understanding of three crosses. I want to talk to you about these three crosses. The first cross is the cross of go. The cross of go. Listen, it is a lie to think that just because Jesus bore the cross, there's not a cross for you. No, the fact that Jesus bore the cross is to so captivate our heart that where He was worthy and yet was willing to die for me who was unworthy, that, it, that love that He's shown captivates me to embrace crosses that He has for me. See, listen, there can be no life for others without a cross. There's eternal relationship with you and I with the Father because Jesus is cross. But other people around us won't know about that life unless you and I embrace some crosses. That's why 1 John 3.16 says, And this we know love that He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our life for the brethren. We also ought to embrace some crosses. The first cross is the cross of go. Jesus, after His resurrection, He comes to them in Matthew 28 and 18, and He said, all authority. Here you see that theme again. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here you see the cross of go. He says, if I'm your Lord, you're to go make disciples. Now I want to bust our bubble real quick. Because we have hundreds of thousands of people in America who attend church and say they're believers and that Jesus is actually Lord and director of the affairs of their life, and yet they've never been involved or made disciples. How is that possible? Because Jesus comes to them after resurrection and says, I have all authority, and you're commanded to go and make disciples. 
to be involved in the process. This is what's happening. And I want to tell you that if that's been you up to this point, that's fine, but you're hearing truth with the power of God's grace to make it real in your life. There's a cross before you. It's called the cross of go. See, I have found that those who actually do something with the knowledge of Matthew 28, that they're the ones whose faith actually grows. I have found that those who take the knowledge that we're to be on mission and we're to march on mission, that those who do something with that knowledge, they're the ones whose faith actually grows. Why? Because they experience more of Jesus. They experience more of Jesus. And as the relationship with Jesus grows, their knowledge of the Father grows, and the understanding of His character and His goodness grows, and their understanding of the kingdom grows, because listen, soldiers go. Soldiers go. Believers who are aware that they are soldiers, they understanding that they are going through life with one main mission to be a part of making disciples of all cultures, subcultures, people. Do you know what this first cross affects? It affects our vision. It should be funny because anything that's unfamiliar and not usual is peculiar. And people now who actually have just embraced the first cross of the cross of go, they look peculiar to other brothers and sisters when they're just doing what we are all called to do. Listen, there's nothing that I can be involved in or be a part of right now that I don't see through these lens. The cross of God is getting the kingdom perspective that I'm not going to work tomorrow. I'm going on mission at work. See, I'm not just going out to eat after this gathering. No, no, I'm going on mission as I eat at the restaurant. It's a difference between everything you do, you do with the perspective because the cross of go has got your perspective to be defined by the mission. I'm not just looking for a spouse. No, no, I'm marching on mission. And if I find a spouse, it's to serve the mission. I'm not just looking to have children. If I have children, it's to serve the mission. I'm not just living to make a living or make money. No, no, no. I'm living on mission and any money I make is for the mission. The cross of gold affects our perspective. It affects our vision. That's why Proverbs 17, 24 says, Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. 
You know what foolish behavior looks like? They're involved in everything, looking at everything. And they don't have the cross of gold that affects their eyes. They don't have the cross of gold that affects their perspective that I'm to be on mission. On mission. And you know why this is important? Because Jesus said, Luke eleven twenty three, 23, red words, He who's not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. He who's not uh, inf- taking the cross of gold, they're actually scattering. Meaning this, you know why people get disconnected? Because they're not following the mission. They're not following the mission. They're not aware they're a soldier. So when they go through fiery trials and they find that there's an enemy, they're thinking, what's going on? But people on mission, we understand. You have the perspective. The cross of go affects your vision. It affects your perspective. How many of you desire the supernatural? Well, guess what? You have to first present something natural. We got believers that's been waiting 12, 13 years, some of them 40 years for the supernatural in their life. Well, you don't get the supernatural if you don't first present something natural. Why don't you present your roof and your house to the Lord? Have some people over for Jesus, not just for yourself. Present your going out to eat to Jesus. Present your degree to Jesus. Present going to your job to Jesus. You, listen, if you want the supernatural, you have to first present something natural. See, my acceptance of Jesus' cross as my own is me coming into a new life under the authority of Jesus the King. And when we do that, guess what? Go is written on our heart and across our chest and in our vision. The cross of go leads to a kingdom perspective. The second cross is the cross of come. If I would have done better, I would have had glasses I could wear the whole time so you would get it, but those ain't going to do it the whole time. But I'm not taking off the cross of gold now that I've come to the second cross. The second cross is the cross of come. Jesus repeatedly in Scripture, He says, come to me. He says, come after me. In fact, in Luke 6, 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Jesus says, listen, I need you to, now that you've embraced the cross of the go and you're marching on mission and you're being a part of what I commanded, making disciples of all peoples, mature ones, multiplying ones, now I need you to come to me and hear my words. Now I need you to come to me with the intention to obey what I say. Why? Because because now you're marching on mission. And now that you're marching on mission, you're going to have some conversations and I want to equip you further to know how to handle those conversations. I want to give you more wisdom so you can be more wise in your handling to know how to impart grace to the hearers. How to give a defense for the hope you have. Now that you're out there and you're involved in the activity, I need you to come to me and learn of me so that I can take you even further in your ability to represent me. See, I've found many people, they don't have a 
prayer life or uh, a time of reading Scripture and a time of silence and seeking God because they're not living the life of a soldier. But when you live the life of a soldier and the, the cross of go is in your perspective, you understand why then Jesus says, Hey, I need you to come to me. I need you to come after me. I need you to, like Mary, come sit at my feet because I have some things I want to impart to you, equip you. I want to refresh you. I want to strengthen you. But here's the thing. The cross of come is this. We say, no, no, Lord, you don't understand. I'm I'm living the cross of go now. Lord, Lord, I got so much to do today. My business is for you. Lord, 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 I'm out serving. I've served every day on missions week. You don't understand. Lord, I'm going. I'm doing all that I can. He said, no, 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 no. There's a cross. There's a new cross. Come after me. Hey, come after me. No, no, you don't understand, Lord. I, I, I have so much activity and I'm doing it for you and my, my heart's for you. No, 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 you got to come to me. you got to come after me. Oh, oh, but God, i got so much to do. Yeah, but if you come to Him and you get the cross of come, it's hard to do those things without the character, without the words, without the empowerment of Jesus. How many things could I do carrying this cross? There's the cross of come. No, you don't understand, Lord. I, I got so much labor I'm doing to you. Yeah, well, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. See, it's not that he's wanting to stop the cross of go and the perspective that you have now, He's now wanting to preserve it and undergird it and purify it further. So He says, come after me. Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Do you know what the cross of come speaks to? Priority. The cross of go speaks to perspective, but the cross of come speaks to priority. He says, yeah, listen, there's a lot I have for you. There's a lot of going for for it to be done. But the priority is I need to make sure that you understand my word correctly. I need you to understand you understand my character correctly, that you'll represent me more correctly, more faithfully. I need you to come away with me. Come away. Come to me. I know people, once they get born again and they want, they want to like their life as a believer be like a you know a lazy river just fl- float down to Chattahoochee the rest of listen no 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 you want to know how to get rest you have to first be faithful with the cross of go you have to have a season of bearing fruit then you get a season of rest Because in Luke 6, 30 and 31, he sent the disciples out. They went out into cities and they're preaching and they're teaching and they're healing and they're minister. And they come back, they report everything that they've been doing now that they're living with the cross of go and kingdom perspective. And he says, hey, now I need you to come aside and rest. No, no, Lord, you don't understand. I got more to do. No, no, I need you to come aside with me and rest. See, there are some people who got the cross of go and they're so a go-getter, but the Lord is trying to undergo that kingdom perspective. He says, no, no, I need you to come aside now and rest. Be revealed. I have found each of these crosses, it 
they come when we think the opposite should be done. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, Lord. I, we, we've just been going. We've seen you do great things in these cities. we got a lot of momentum. Let's keep the momentum. No, no, you, you got to come aside and rest now. See, that's a cross. But it's these crosses that remind us that we are the unworthy one, but he is the worthy one. And we need him. we got to trust him. Then he said in Luke 9, 23, he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, Jesse, you can come on. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Watch this daily and follow me. Lord, uh, I want to accomplish this. No, no, no. I need you to deny yourself. Lord, I was thinking about doing this for you. No, no, I need you to come away and deny yourself. It's the cross of come. See, I think about this. It's when we come to him that he keeps reorienting our perspective. He makes sure that we keep the right perspective, the kingdom perspective. Like we get wills aligned, budgets balanced, time scheduled, bodies adjusted. But what about vision refocused? So come after me. The cross of come is priority. Let me tell you a big come, come out of the boat. Remember Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. What's so interesting about that? What is that story? Because listen, Peter was a fisherman. Peter had experienced many times being in a boat in a storm. And there's all kinds of cultural myths of sea creatures and sea monsters and things that would happen out there. And Peter had all of these ideas and he's heard people say and he's had all these experiences. But listen, what he's used to is hindering him from more of what God through Jesus has for him. And he says, I need you to come out of what what you're used to. I, I, I need you to come out of that boat that you have a lot of experience in. Lord, why would you try? Because I need you to encounter me deeper. You, you, you've, you've understood what it's like in the boat, but I, I need you to come out of what you're comfortable in and used to and have a lot of experience. I need you to come to me on the water. He says, come to me. Come out of that boat. Come out of what is familiar. Come out of the past. Come out of those past beliefs. Come out of those past superstitions. Come out of those predetermined responses. They were fearful when they saw him. He, he says, you come out of it. It's the cross of come. You say, I don't understand why you do this, Jesus. It's the cross of come. He's not asking you to understand. He's saying, I, I'm your Lord. You come. I have found I don't get far with Jesus when I seek first to understand. I only get far when I finally realize, well, you know what? I'm unworthy. And I've not been able to fix this stuff. There's servants and things under my roof. (sighs) See, it's called a cross for a reason, friends goes against what's natural to us it goes against what's convenient to us it goes against what feels normal to us 
It's not easy, but it's the way of faith. So there's the cross of go perspective, the cross of come priority. And the third cross, the cross of do this. Once you've lived with kingdom go and the cross of go and the perspective and you now have the rhythm of the cross of come and you're consistently coming to Jesus and you're talking to Jesus and you're listening to Jesus with the intent to obey and you're, you're fellowshipping with Jesus and you're letting Him refuel you and when He needs to, you're resting in Him and not seeking to go and have activity and you're learning all of this cross-bearing. Then there's the cross of do this. What do we mean? Remember there was this certain lawyer that stood up and tested Jesus in Luke 10, 25, and he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered rightly. Watch this. Do this. Now that you have the cross of go and you have the cross of come, now do this. Now go, go about loving God and loving others. Go about loving God and loving others with everything you have. Yeah, but, but what does loving God and loving others look like for me, Lord? Oh, I need you specifically to do this. I, I need you to serve me specifically doing this. But, but Lord, what about, what about Peter? L Lord, what about Taylor? No, no, no. I need you to serve me by doing this. See, in the Old Covenant, under the law of Moses, I can't find Tony if she was standing right next to me, but if, you, yep, if you'll come, please. Thank you. In the Old Testament law, you read in Deuteronomy, there's what's called miscellaneous laws. Everybody say miscellaneous laws. It's a lot of syllables. See, the essence of the whole law was love God and love others. But there's something called miscellaneous laws. And the miscellaneous laws were miscellaneous ways that he would say, do this thing. See, listen, Jesus is king. He's king over all of us, whether we accept it, acknowledge it, surrender to it. But for those of us that do and believe and follow him, listen, he is our law. He is our standard. But he has miscellaneous laws. He tells one brother and sister, yes, I... You're to love God and love others, but I need you in serving me to do it this way. I need you specifically to do this thing. I, but but I, I have a singing voice. I want to sing. No, no, I need you in this season to do this in the parking lot. L Lord, don't, don't you understand? I, I'm, I'm good with people. Yeah, yeah, but in this season, I need you to do this on the computer. I need you to serve me in this miscellaneous way. See, listen, you know what crosses is? Listen, it's the cross of purpose. 
each of these crosses, listen, is He's preparing us for us to march completely in our high calling. Say, Deuteronomy, He said, I command you to do this thing, and that thing can change. wasn't good in English and never was good in the subject of English, school in English. And yet there's a season, he said, I need you to serve me in doing this thing right. There's others that need what I've taken you through. But God, I, God I, I'm not a writer. Do this thing. It's to see, listen, there's times this thing is a cross. But it's the way in the season you love God and you love others. It's the cross of purpose. You know what's amazing? So when we acknowledge His authority, it helps us embrace the three crosses. But when we embrace the three crosses, it allows then His authority to work through us. You know why He said, I have all authority? Because He had been through a cross. And when we embrace the cross, it seems at first that we're losing, but we're losing things of ourselves so that His self and authority can come through. I want to tell you that we're soldiers. I want to tell you that we're all called to be going. I want to tell you there's the cross to come after Him and to come to Him and to Hear Him and come after Him. Deny yourself and there is the cross of do this thing. For some of you, it's love your spouse in this season. For some of you, it's be faithful at your job in this season. For some of you this season, it's to invite those neighbors over once every two weeks. For some of you, it's to lead a connect group. For some of you, it's to be faithful here in your role. But it's do this thing. It's what loving God and loving others looks like. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.